All right, things are moving in the mortgage market, and they're moving fast. So it's time for a mortgage update. Let's go! Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Hey, gang, how's it going? Russell Westcott here. So I did my uh, let's go a little bit uh, more enthusiastic this morning. I think I woke Scooby up from from his sleep here. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Oh, good. Daddy's just recording a podcast. Well, well, Scooby Scooby gives his blessings and says that I can continue going forward here. So anyways, I'm, I'm on fire this morning. We're, we're um, got a lot of really cool things cooking, a lot of cool things on on the horizon. Lots of wonderful things that we're um we're just diving into and going full force here so you know gang what is this episode 177 and i just need to you know collect my thoughts here a little bit because um you know i i listened to one of the last episodes on the intro and i was going geez russ you're you're jumping around an awful lot here you're going here and you're going there and you're just kind of all over the map so so maybe it's time i slow it down a little bit for everybody right so, gang, you know what? Uh, the markets and real estate markets are in flux. There's a lot of changes that are happening. Some markets are truly on fire, and some markets are in the deep freeze. And, um, you know, I often chuckle and joke every time I see a, a national housing market number or a forecast or something. You know, if, you're, if your head's in the oven and your feet are in the deep freeze, somewhere in the middle, you're probably doing pretty good, right? So just remember, all real estate markets are local. All real estate markets are hyper-local. And every real estate market has a different cycle that it is in. The, your key job that you want to do is check out and make sure you understand which market cycle your particular target market is in by studying the economics, studying the things behind the market. And I, I've, I think I shared an episode on this a little while ago, and maybe I'll break, break down a, an, an entire full episode on this. But really, the simplest thing I do when it comes down to all of this is I look at three things. I look at economic activity. I look at people, the movement of people, and I look at the real estate market. Okay, so economic fundamentals, what are the drivers? What is infrastructure? Is the, is the economy growing? Is the GDP growing? Or is there lots of infrastructure spending happening? Is there um, economic churn going on in that marketplace? Is there investment coming in? Are there big, giant capital projects? Those kind of things. Then the people. Are the people working? Are people moving in? Are people earning more money? Is the population getting younger? Are people spending more capital? Vehicle sales, um, um, retail sales. What are the people do? What are um, is happening with the actual people in the marketplace, right? And then if you overlay the third one on top of that is what is the housing market? Is the housing market um, unaffordable? Has the housing market had a significant run-up on prices and maybe it's time to has, has a breather? What is the supply? What is the demand? What are the, um, ec- what are the um, maybe redevelopment that's happening in the area with different things like that? So if you actually overlay it, I, I, I know I oversimplified it, but if you really just boil it down to economic activity, the people, what's going on with the people in the market, and what's going on within the real estate market yourself. Between those three, you can get a really cool little Venn diagram. And one of the influencers of pretty much all three of those things, of economic activity, 
the people and um, the housing market, uh, an influencer in all three of those circles, if you will, is mortgage rates and interest rates because it impacts capital projects. It impacts people's borrowing power. It impacts people's mortgage ability. And it also impacts the people's supply versus demand of, of housing. So that's why it's high time that we had an update on the mortgage market. And I went to one of our go-to strategic partners to have a wonderful conversation here. I think we went for, you know, probably about a almost an hour and 20 minutes on a wonderful conversation. Um, so Dahlia Barsoom and I caught up uh, from, and Dahlia is with Streetwise Mortgages. You've, you've heard Dahlia's name many, many times throughout my podcast. She's the one that provides those wonderful financing tips and financing strategies that I often run mid-roll on pretty much uh, the majority of my podcast episodes. But this one, Dahlia and I sat down. Uh, it was, I think it was a late on a Friday afternoon. And I, you know, I think we chuckled and had, uh, you know, talking about maybe having a glass of wine or something a little stronger, maybe a little shot of tequila <laughs> or something. And uh, we just kind of just boiled down what was happening in the mortgage market because things are moving very quickly. So you need to keep on top of what's happening in the mortgage market. The most important thing we wanted to keep on top of are what are our options when it comes to the mortgage market? What are our options when it comes to financing? What are some of our options? How do you pivot? How do you reposition? How do you um, refinance? And let's say in a year's time from now, when you know that your interest rate that you have at 1.79% is going to be coming up and it may have something with a four and a five and a six in front of it. At the beginning of it, how do you start repositioning that and preparing for that now? So those are all the wonderful things that Dahlia and I cover, including private lending, including commercial financing, including just what's happening in a lot of the marketplaces. It was just wonderful to catch up with a incredible wealth of knowledge and a colleague in this industry. And um, make sure you stick around right to the very end. I I um, shared a message with with Dahlia that we need more support. We need more guidance. We need more teams like the Streetwise Mortgage Team out there to help guide us through um, the mortgage. Um, I was going to say the mortgage malaise. That could be a good word. Maybe the mortgage um, labyrinth might be another fancy word to use there as well. But anyways, long story short, you're going to love this conversation. And please help me welcome... Dahlia Barsoom. All right, Dahlia, how are you today? It's been, what is this, like episode three that we've done, three or four, and it's been it's been far too long since we've had a conversation. How the heck are you doing? I am fantastic, Russell. How are you? Oh, I couldn't, couldn't be better now that we're talking. Uh, I, I hope we can be like a lighthouse in the storm, if you will, and point ourselves towards towards the the shore. And hopefully, there's no rocks in the way on 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 the path. I think the last yeah. time we we talked, I think it was in the summer, and it was just when the rates were starting to go up. And your conversation was, "And things are going like crazy." <laughs> yeah. So, yes, and I'm feeling great today because I had my full tequila bottle right before this show. Well, that's good. You know, do, do we had a little uh, bottle. Did, did did have the one with the worm on the bottom, and we have to you know finish the bottle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So first and foremost, how are you doing? How are you? How's Victor? How's everybody doing? We're good. We're uh, we're very good, and uh, um, I choose to be good. Let me put it this way, because the market we're in is not uh, an easy market. There is a lot of uh, 
negativity and noise and pressure. And of course, we deal with, you know, we, we see financials day in and day out and there is pressure out there. So I always say, you know, it's a choice. How we feel is a yep. choice. And I can uh, just go, oh my God, it's overwhelming right now. And the sky is falling and, you know, it's painful. But it's just an interruption that's going to go away. And we have to still enjoy our life and still, you know, get up and be our best and do our best. And uh, yeah, that's why when you ask me, how are you doing? For real, I feel excellent. Good, good. It's a choice. And I, and I love <laughs> that attitude. You know, there, there's never a shortage of things that are wrong. Never a shortage. But it's what you actually choose on it. And it was funny. I was just having a recent conversation with a, with a fellow who had one of the most traumatic things that you possibly could have. He was a first responder in, in the, the, with the city police. And he responded to just a routine call. And he, 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 you know, within a half an hour, he found out that he had his finger on somebody's carotid artery in their neck. And he was the difference between that person living and dying for like about 45 minutes and the trauma well, that he went through. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like, like oh my goodness. Between yeah. that and then a good friend of mine from elementary school and high school, he, he just posted something yesterday on Facebook and he says, he goes, yeah, with great sadness. I'm sad that my, my brother and my son and my, my brother's daughter, you know, passed away. They fell through ice and his, the father and his son and his brother went to try to save this child that fell through ice and they all drowned. Like, it was just like, oh my God. Crazy. Oh my like. That is unreal. Yeah. No, I don't mean to, to put a wet blanket on our conversation here today, but but you you choose what to, how to make the situation. And in some cases, there's some incredible things that are opportunities. And in some cases, there are some really challenging times that you have to overcome. Okay? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Now, first of all, Dahlia, how did you fare after your cash flow recharge event? You know, you, this was your first toe in the water of putting on a live event. And it was completely <laughs> probably a lot different than a departure from doing mortgages and, and helping people with financial planning. How did you yeah. find the process? And are you, are you up for another one? Well, I have to say I was on a high, you know, throughout this event, just listening to the speakers and learning things myself and getting feedback from clients. It was fantastic. But I underestimated uh, what it takes to actually put together an event. And I learned a lot through the process between technology blowing up and we have to pretend that everything was fine, you know, on camera. <laughs> so I underestimated, but it, it turned out to be a fantastic event. Everyone learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I would actually do it again. Nice. Good. And, yep. and, 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 and Russell, your content and your advice and your presentation was like right up there. And we're very grateful for what you've shared. During well, that event. I'm I'm honored that you have that you invited me and I will do whatever I can to help inspire people. And and for, for the majority of people that uh, are listeners on my podcast, number one is, you know, Dolly and I have done some long form episodes, but you also will have heard Dahlia's voice on literally every episode, right in kind of the mid-roll there is I actually look forward to your mortgage tips and your financing tips. I I I actually learn from that before I send it off to the editing team. I say, I want to listen to this because I want to learn too. So it's it's one of my favorite segments that you do. You just you contribute on, on an ongoing basis. And I just want to thank you and our, our listeners want to thank you as well. 
My pleasure. Yeah, you're one of the best at doing that. Like, uh, I wish everybody would take a page out of Dahlia's book of you You step up, you you speak on everybody's stages. When you get invited to do something, you, you're on a podcast, you deliver investing tips and share the information. And it's not all about the transaction for you, is it? No, it's uh, it's never about the transaction. Uh, I always, um, this is how I operate and I my team operates the same way. We always believe in adding value regardless of whether or not there is a transaction. Sometimes clients call us and we know by, you know, just the first call that it may not be the right time to do something or we can't help them for whatever reason, right? And we still choose to uh, add value, whether that's through giving a piece of advice that will help them or connecting them with someone that will help them or helping them see something that they didn't see. So uh, yeah, and that always really served our clients um, and served us well as well. Yep, I, I 100% agree. Now, if somebody hasn't checked out the other episodes that we've been on and and I was the, you know, I'm going to date myself with this reference of the Coles notes. Are you familiar with the Coles notes? So yeah. crib notes, do you remember that? You know, when you, then, when you got a book report in high school and then you had to write the book report and then you, you didn't have time to read the book, but you went and bought the, the little, the little cheat notes on it. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. On the prairies, we used to have a place called the Coles bookstore and there was called the Coles notes. The Coles. Oh. So if somebody was, if I was to ask you what the Coles notes of who you are and what you do, how would you answer that question? Is, it, is that the, the, the simple, summary? the summary of everything that you're involved with and how you help people? The summary really is that we um, are passionate about helping clients uh, build wealth through real estate uh, the right way and uh, bringing the right money sources together to help them create the portfolio of their dreams, whether it's residential or multifamily or combination of, uh, I've seen clients as they build wealth and abundance, um, create time freedom and create uh, cash flow and create life experiences, uh, not just for themselves, but for their families and contribute better. Yep. And I just love that outcome of, or the fruits of the process. So that's, that's why we do what we do. Nice. And and would you say the, where would you say the bulk of your clientele is uh, location-wise across Canada? The bulk of our clients are in Ontario, okay. uh, but we also have uh, clients in Alberta, British Columbia, Nova Scotia, Saskatchewan, yep. um, and uh, uh, Manitoba. And right. I forgot one, but we're we we operate in five other provinces outside of Ontario, but the Balkar in Ontario. Right. So so suffice it to say, you have your finger on the pulse of you know a fairly national basis of of what's going on, and yeah. you know we we both would agree that real estate is local, even to a point where it's hyper local in many many respects. Um, yes. But we're going to try to do our best to kind of shed some light on what's kind of going on in the marketplace out there. So, from a mortgage perspective. What, 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 what's going on in the marketplace and how can you provide um, some um, top-line information for people on just kind of the state of the nation? If you were to stand in front of a, a group of investors, what would you say it's going on in the marketplace right now from a mortgage perspective? So the point we're at right now is an interesting 
point because we are at the peak of the pressure when it comes to rates, but we are starting to see optimism in the prospects of the Bank of Canada um, cutting rates. Because if, if, you know, the last gesture was for the first time indicative of a rate cut, is it, does, it, this, does it mean that it's going to happen soon? Unlikely. But at least we know now that it is on the horizon. Um, so that's an interesting point to be at. There is a lot of pressure that we're seeing in the market, uh, especially for those who are on variable rates or has come up out of a renewal into a, a new rate environment into high, much higher payments. So there is that pressure. But there is that optimism now that there is a rate cut on the horizon, likely sometime in 2024. I mean, not the beginning, but later in the year, but that timeline may shift. This is as of today. So it's an interesting, um, you know, point to be at. So that's that's the residential um, state of the nation. Um, we are also seeing um, a shift in how investors are using money. Uh, there is, as we we're talking right before this uh, session, Russell, the MLI Select program, the CMHC money on commercial properties, whether you're building or whether you're uh, converting residential to commercial or whether you're uh, renovating, repositioning an asset, that's cheaper money in the bigger scheme of things. You're still talking about crazy lower rates relative to where residential rates are and higher loan to value, significantly higher loan to value. So we're seeing more investors uh, also now play in that sandbox and it's increasing. Yeah. What we're also seeing is uh, higher demand for private money overall because things are not happening the way they used to happen in the residential space. Qualification is tougher. Rates are higher. Rules are, you know, so, and and people still need to do things. We're not going to all sit here and just, you know, <laughs> wait for life to change, right? We have to take control and keep doing things. So we're seeing more demand for private money. And in fact, uh, what's interesting is the private money pricing right now is close to what's called B lenders pricing. So there is the A lenders, the banks, there are the B lenders, uh, which are the alternative lenders. And then there is private money. The rates here are similar. The fees are higher, but the rates are similar and they're interest only versus principal and interest. So private money um, is, is at its highest um, appetite right now. And this commercial money too, is is also um, you know in, in, investors are tapping more and more into it. So that, in a nutshell, you know, the highlight of the landscape. Yeah. Now, now I would say, and I'm not trying to be um, over hypey or hyperbole with the next comment I'm about to say, but I would think now more than ever of any time in that I've been an investor for 23 years is you need an expert on your team navigating the mortgaging waters right now. Like if you're, if you're trying to just figure this out and go on your own and go to a branch person and stuff like that. Now it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's almost suicide to be honest. So, so what I'm trying to really get to is you need the professional advice and the guidance from a team of people that are living and breathing it every single day. And they're seeing the, the path through the, the rocks to try to get you to your destination more than ever. Now, I know you agree with that, obviously, but uh, I'm just saying that from another perspective is uh, 
I don't have, I'm not a mortgage agent. I don't have a dog in this hunt, but I'm saying now more than ever, you need a professional. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it sounds self-serving that the mortgage brokers say, come and talk to a mortgage broker. But the truth is, that's the truth. The truth is I I worked for the banks. I worked for the banks for 15 years and uh, before I switched to the broker channel. And at the end of the day, the bank is one entity and they have their own product on the shelf. They have their own way of looking at deals. Not every lender is the same. Not every lender does the same, you know, offers the same products or thinks about deals the same way. As a broker, we're on the other side. We don't have one shelf. We have multiple products and we know how everybody thinks. So that's really the key point here. Yeah. And and in some cases, some some quote unquote pots of money are more friendly than others. And then that that's a constant evolution where where at one time one is very friendly and then one is very stringent. And then the the, the pendulum swings back again and then another one's friendly, another one's stringent. And it's just yep. knowing the chess pieces and knowing the strategy more than ever is is very important. Yeah. We're like the Walmart. Yeah. Well, I would imagine you, as, as somebody who sees this, you would probably agree that the people that are weathering the storm a little bit better were people that probably went through your process very early and got a plan in place up front. And now they're weathering it a little bit as opposed to winging it, if you will. Yes. Um, I can proudly say that despite the fact that everyone is feeling the pressure, we haven't had investors who lost their shirt or you know, uh, couldn't exit deals or got stuck with money because there are investors who got stuck with private money and could not exit. And there are investors who lost properties in this process and there are investors who are forced to sell. So, uh, yeah, we're, we are big on risk management and proactive uh, planning and strategy rather than just transaction. So that definitely, that definitely helped. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, um, <laughs> You're for obviously familiar with the name Benjamin Tall, Benjamin Tall from CIBC. Um, yeah. I like Benjamin. He's 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 a from an economist. He's actually very. He's got a personality. He's uh, he he understands that he gets it. He's not just an academic. He 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 understands real life all at the same time. Um, he was saying recently, and hopefully this is maybe true or not, but I would like to get your perception on this as well. That there's mm-hmm. an entire giant mortgage refinance, or not refinance, um, renewal wall that's coming where people in 2019, 2020 that renewed in 3% or less that are now going to have to be renewing in 5% or more type of thing. Yeah. Um, yes. Is that is that of a concern within the industry? And is, there, is that one of the reasons why maybe think people are thinking it's going to come down in the, in the next little while? What, what's your take on that? Well, definitely there is a wave of renewals coming up uh, and uh, the Bank of Canada is aware of that. And um, I think that also played a role to a certain extent in their uh, decision to just, you know, pause or hold versus continuing to uh, push harder. And uh, thankfully, the indicators are helping the situation, of course, because they're going by these indicators. But um, is there a concern overall about increased defaults uh, because of this wave? Well, here is the thing. I was just going through a report with CMC, published by CMC, and you would expect that by now, 
you know, um, we're seeing an increase in defaults. We're, uh, you know, seeing for sale signs come up, you know, like uh, a domino. Uh, but in fact, the default rates are not increasing. Uh, the default rates have not increased according to CMHC. Um, so I don't think there is an overarching, like, really big concern about defaults because of this new wave of renewals. But um, definitely, I, I think the Bank of Canada took that into account when they made the decision to pull. Right. Now, we can sit here and there's obviously people, which I would say is a lot higher pay, the old saying is higher pay grade than I am. They probably a lot smarter than I am, but who knows? Um, a lot of people are sitting there and that are just making decisions that are really trying to almost intentionally thwart and slow down the market and not, not turn it into a ditch, but they're trying to navigate the market to a slow down pace, if you will, which is a little dangerous in my opinion, right? And it probably came because the interest rate was too low for too long. And now they're trying to go too high for too long. And maybe hopefully in the middle, it'll be, it'll be in, um, it'll make sense. So the, the question I'm going to get to eventually here is, um, do you see some um, cracks and, and risks that are happening out in the marketplace of any defaults? I know you answered that a little bit before, but are you seeing some cracks in the, the pre-construction market, in some uh, development projects that are being delayed? Are you seeing some some things that may not just be a soft landing, it might be actually a hard landing? Um, there, there is... Uh, I, I am, I'm concerned about definitely uh, a couple of things. One, uh, private money. There is a there is there is um, a much bigger appetite for private money right now, given the circumstances. And I am not sure everyone who's taking private money has a true exit strategy out of that loan. And that's always been um, something I've I've talked about. When people take private money, they have to validate, truly validate with their broker upfront how will they exit that money not leave it to chance, not leave it to, I'm going to sell or I refinance. And I'm seeing a wave of money shift to, to the private space. I just don't know how the risk is being managed to make sure that everybody is going to come back to the safe harbor. So there is, there is a little bit of personal concern there on that front. Uh, with our clients, we make sure there is an exit strategy. And if there is no exit, I don't recommend taking private money. Um, we're seeing some new constructions construction projects come our way where here is a story and that I, I I saw samples of it. I haven't seen the entire story, but I I assume there is more of that happening. Here is a story. When clients bought new constructions years ago, you know, they don't have a firm approval. They can get pre-approved. Some banks like RBC offer a firm approval, which you know, if they can go to RBC, and as a broker, I don't deal with RBC, but I'll tell clients, if you have a new construction and you qualify with RBC, go to RBC, get that firm approval done so you can sleep at night so that when the time comes for you to close the deal, you know, you don't have to worry. It's a big feature in my view. 
But a lot of lenders don't do that. So what happened is clients bought two, three years ago, time to close. Back then they qualified. Now they don't qualify with an A lender. They don't qualify with a B lender. They now have to take a private loan. Their cost has become this big, which they didn't plan for. Now it's one thing to close the transaction. It's another thing to carry the property. So that's problem number one. I'm seeing clients in that situation. Problem number two is uh, value. In some cases, in some cases, values have shifted. The general theory is you buy new construction and by the time the deal closes, that property is going to be at a higher value and everyone is happy. And that was the story when the wave was high. But in some cases, you know, that's not the case. The value is actually lower depending on when that client purchased. So how do you cover these shortfalls, right? Yeah, I had a conversation with um, a couple, um, you know, I'd call them small and mid-tier, and they would use the same terms as well, small and mid-tier developers out in Ontario. So so here's the, the conundrum, is there's such a shortage of housing. Like there's such a need for some densification. There's such a need for houses. I think CMHC is forecasting three and a half to four million houses short in the next period of time. Like it's, it's ridiculous how many houses we need. Okay. But at the same time, some people that are trying to add density and add houses, they sat there and they have some land positions and they were looking to build on them. And then all of a sudden, um, the values have started to drop. So they're unable to sell them for the value they need. And then, so what they've done is they've scaled back, they've stopped their projects. They're l- yep. literally just sitting on bare land because it just doesn't make sense for them to move forward. But then all of a sudden now their holding costs just keep ratchet up and ratcheting up and ratcheting up. And, and they're now at a point where they've had to let go a lot of their construction managers and let go a lot of their people. And um, they're in a point that it just, we're, we're playing the game right. We're trying to solve a problem. We're trying to solve the need. But the the winds and the headwinds are just so strong at the moment that we have to just kind of hunker down and wait it out for a few years. Yes. Yeah. On the developer, the small developers, small, medium. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've seen that as well. Yeah. And uh, but then on, like I said, on the flip side, there's such a need for some housing. Like uh, the rental market is just on fire. Um, a lot of the the places and some markets that's just they just need there's like a forecast. We're adding six hundred thousand people a year to the to the country, yeah. and uh, we we don't have a plan for them, right? However, yep. however, we have a government program to spend forty billion dollars to do uh, car batteries in in Windsor, but we don't have a forty billion dollar housing program to help support some people to build some houses. Maybe the car batteries will help the housing. Well, somehow. I think they will. Right? Yeah, it's those, right? vo- those Volkswagen batteries that we're going to need that all, the, all those EVs are going to solve our housing problem, won't it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So maybe, maybe the government should just listen to my podcast and then they'll go, oh, well, we'll just solve all the problems now, right? And then on well, top of that, the developer is telling me that all the development fees and all the costs and everything, especially in Toronto, have just gone through the roof, like, like it, it costs more money now to build a house than it did a couple of years ago. And that doesn't even count your holding costs and your interest costs and your financing costs. And yes. the developer is the one taking all the risk and holding the entire bag for helping to solve the housing problem. Yep. 
Now, yep. don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to play a fiddle and have everybody feel all, all sorry for the housing developers, but but I don't understand why it's not um, that we don't want to help developers and help people building houses to make some money. Like if they don't make profit, they don't make margin, they won't do it. And if no, if the private developers aren't going to do it, the government ain't doing it. So, so I honestly don't know what the solution is in many respects. What's, what's your thoughts on this? I actually don't know what the solution is. I mean, for me, it's, it's, you want to create housing, create the incentives for the people who are building houses, but that's not what, how, how it's lining up. And I just don't know where, where the issue is. Yeah. And I know each market is completely different and things like that. Like I know the market that we operate in, in Edmonton, they're extremely proactive on what they did are doing they and here's what they do is they've taken a look at their demographics and they know they're adding a million more people in the next 15 years and they don't want to grow the city out any further they want to grow it in and they have a lot of old little houses on big giant lots so they're approving a densification blanket across thing that you can potentially in some cases build up to three stories on 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 residential properties and you can add up to 18 units on some cases, right? Wow. And so they're being proactive. And not only are they being proactive, um, I know we had one of our applications that got submitted because we had the zoning right and all that, everything like that. We went in with the plans, everything. Within 10 days, we had permits. 10 days. That's crazy. Yeah. That is super fast. And, and But on the, on the flip side, even though they can add inventory, sometimes if you add supply too fast that's a bad thing too so it's a little bit of a balancing game right mm-hmm. there is bill 23 here which yeah. uh but not to the same extent you yeah i know they, they've they've announced and they've talked but has it actually is it actually implementable like like can are people able to does it actually make sense for somebody to take a single family house and do all the work and go through it and add eight units to it and you know does it actually make sense Actually, it does make sense um, if the investor is using the cheaper money, like uh, construction money with CMHC, yep. uh, commercial money. It makes sense. I've seen it happen with many of our clients, and I'm personally starting to utilize that type of strategy as well. So um, the lift in value has to be there, obviously. The NOI has to support a bigger loan amount on exit so you can pay off for your construction costs. But yeah, the Bill 23 makes the process easier. Yeah, I 100% agree. I, um, now we have a different, out west, we have a different uh, terminology with a lot of these things and stuff like that. But, but we, just need to, we just need to get some, get some grease in the system and get the, get, the, get the machine working, if you will, right? And we need to get, and then if you couple that with somebody was telling me that there's a huge trades shortage out there too. It's like, so people, you know, we, want, we need to build houses. There's a, a supply shortage and then there's a trade shortage and then uh, the development costs and fees just don't make sense to really do it. So it's it's one of those things is something, it's almost a game of chicken. Like something has to give, like somebody has to blink first, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, I, I hear you. Um, okay. So you mentioned something earlier. So your 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 business is pivoting a little bit more into private money, a little bit more from traditional on on the residential conventional side is that is that did i hear that correctly um 
We're not pivoting. We are growing. Growing. Okay, you're growing. Okay, you maybe didn't focus on it. Yeah. So I always believe that private money is a stepping stone and it's still a stepping stone. It's not long-term money. Um, But I've always looked at every option for a client. Turn that left stones unturned before I jumped into private money, unless there was a very strong reason to why we use private money. That's been always my philosophy. But now uh, we, you know, there are clients who uh, are using, need private money because they can, can get enough on this side. I give you an example. Have AAA clients switching from a B lender, you know, principal and interest payment to a private interest only payment so they can get breathing room in their budget. And then we're going to write the cycle for 12 months, knowing that we can take them back to a B lender. So here's an example of a new use for private money that did not actually exist before. Yeah. Uh, so we're growing that practice. We're, we're um, offering uh, better products. We are uh, managing risk, uh, you know, uh, given this new environment we're in, at, 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 you know, from, from, from different perspectives. But we're still doing a lot of residential. We're doing multifin. Right. Right. Okay. So maybe a good a good pivot um, so is to talk a little bit about multifamily because that is um, one of the very viable things that is really working out there very very well at the moment. Um, or do you do a lot of uh, commercial and multifamily uh, financing from from your from your uh, your company? Yes, multifamily and mixed use, whether it's a turnkey, a reposition, or construction. Nice, nice. And I imagine it's probably growing that way because it's it's one of the things that is still makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's funny, like a, a year ago when we were doing our our suited houses, a house with a basement suite and things like that. And I, you know, maybe it was a little more than a year ago, a year and a half ago, we were getting, you know, between four and seven hundred dollars cash flow on it now. <laughs> on to take a a traditional conventional mortgage at even at the best rates that four to seven hundred dollars is negative four to seven hundred dollars at, at best right so somebody's sitting there going and goes well you know i don't know if i have an appetite to have to write a check for eight hundred dollars a month every month and just keep keep doing that oh by the way i'm going to make up for it but i'll have five of them <laughs> right <laughs> yeah so so that's one of the things that i'm helping people with is i'm helping people do a repositioning strategy people that maybe bought a house that isn't cash flowing that, but they have some equity in it, and there is a value to potentially sell it to a homeowner, take the same capital, that maybe where it was two, and then turn it into a buy of a six or an eight or a multifamily property. You're almost, the interesting thing, the way the math works out, because of the MLI Select program, you're getting into the exact, with the exact same capital, and you're almost doubling your density of, of units you have. You potentially, I just worked out a plan with a client where... He had four properties, two suited houses that were negative cash flow. They were positive. They're now negative. And by taking the exact same capital, moving it in, we could potentially get them up to 16, uh, 18, no, 12, 12 units, two sixplexes. And with the CMHC financing, the cash flow now goes from negative, say, 1500 to positive 2000 There was a $3,500 swing in cash flow just by repositioning it. Yeah, it's crazy. The extended amortization to up to 50 years is is huge, right? 
Yeah, and if it didn't, if we didn't have that, that it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense. Like, don't get me wrong. It's it's uh, it's a combination of a whole bunch of things: of the extended amortization, the discounted interest rate, the high loan to values. It's it's a combination of multiple things. Yes. Yeah. So, if somebody's sitting here and they're listening to this, commercial financing, and they've we've I view we've used this term, the MLI Select Program. What is that? And where can a person get a little research on it? And, and are you, does your team do a lot of these, these mortgages? Yeah, we do both uh, conventional is what it's called, CMHC and MLI. And um, we have a direct uh, relationship with CMHC. It's called a direct correspondence. So that's when a broker has direct access to CMHC where they have control over the conversation. Uh, and can then get what's called the CMHC certificate at hand. Uh, and we can then go have the lenders bid on, you know, how they want to price the deal. Essentially, what it does for, for, for you as a client is it helps us um, accelerate the process. And also, yes, CMHC is CMHC, but when you have middle person, you know, talking to another person, it slows things down. So that direct communication helps, but also uh, lenders like to see the CMHC certificate. They will compete for that business. So it allows us to get you better pricing. So yes, Russell, we, we, uh, we do, um, we, um, we fund MLI deals and uh, conventional deals. And what the program is, MLI program is really, is, is a scoring system. So what they're doing is they're trying to, um, help the housing situation by providing incentives to um, those who are building units or uh, those who are repositioning units or even buying turnkey, as long as they are tackling certain things that matter from a CMHC standpoint. So they have points if you make a percentage of the units accessible and they have clear definition on what that really means. They have points if you are building something or renovating and enhancing the energy efficiency in, in, in the process. So you have to, to bring in an energy engineer to basically help you um, spend on the things that will, you know, improve energy consumption. And for that, you score points, depending on what these improvements look like. It could be, you know, level one points or level two or level three. And if you score at level three, you get the best benefits out of the program. And then the third bucket uh, for scoring is uh, what they call affordability. So they want to keep a percentage of the unit um, affordable. And they publish a sheet that says the median renter's income in this area is this. As long as you keep X number of units below 30% of that number, we're going to give you points. So it's a scoring system. And if you aim to score 100 points and you, and you could play in any of these or a combination of, and for that, you get highest loan to values. They can go up to 95%. Standard amortizations, they can go up to 50 years. And um, what's called the, de the debt coverage. Yeah. So the, the, the if, if you take the same building, and try to qualify for a loan under the CMC regular program versus scoring 
on these points and getting it done under MLI, you will get a bigger loan amount under the MLI program compared to the other program. Yeah. And, and that, that's really the, one of the key features as yeah. well. And then they, they relax the debt coverage ratio as well to a 1.1 as opposed yeah. to, is it usually 1.25, give or take? 1.25, 1.3, depending on the number of units. Yeah. Now, speaking of number of units, and it's funny as I was... <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to confess that I um you know old dog learn new trick here um <laughs> and and I I made the I think I made the joke on on your conference that I don't know why I waited so long to get into commercial financing like I waited 20 20 plus years before I applied for my commercial financing and it was because I was scared it was like the loan amounts were bigger everything seemed more difficult it was but as you go through the process it it's actually like a little bit of a breath of fresh air like it, it, they treat it based upon a business case. They treat it based upon, um, you know, the the quality of the property and the incomes it generates. There's, in there's no perceived wall of you can only get three mortgages. Like if everything's cash flowing and you're doing well and net worth is good and you got strong borrowing people with you, they're very welcome and opening. And yeah. they're actually more friendly when you have a seventeen million dollar mortgage as opposed to a one point seven million dollar. Absolutely. So, yeah. so here's what I was trying to get to is, uh, um, so for you, how many units does it have to have first and foremost, just to even just be, uh, get the threshold of qualification? Five. Five units or more. Okay. Five, five legal units or more. Five legal units or more. Okay. Excellent. Um, the other thing... <laughs> I was sitting there going, I was going, well, CMHC, well, it's the, the government. CMHC is giving us the money, right? It's the government's money. But but I actually learned very clearly, quickly as, no, the government is just insuring the money and the lenders would have an insurance policy that it'll get paid back. If it doesn't get paid back, um, the government then pays the money. But the, the government doesn't have any money, do they? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's how it's done. See how see how see how simple I am. I I didn't even understand that at first, Dahlia. How 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 far I had to come on my learning curve to learn about this commercial thing. I go, well, the the government has the money, and somebody said, no, the government does. They just give you an insurance policy, in essence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's so. Okay, so so the point I'm trying to get to is, um, so if you qualify, and then the other thing, just as a key thing for a lot of people listening, um. If you're interested, as well as the beautiful part about, let's say you you have a triplex on one, right? You have a house, a suite, and an accessory dwelling unit, and you're sitting there going, "Oh darn, it doesn't it doesn't work, right? I only got three units, but maybe you have another another lot beside it." So, for example, a client of mine bought a property, subdivided it, and he was able to put three units on per lot. So now he has six units as opposed to just one three unit. Now, yes. instead of it being, he now qualifies under that under a six unit bill. Yes. Yes. So that's an unknown thing that not a lot of people do know that, especially if they're adjacent properties and adjacent lots, you can take it from, from to not qualifying to qualifying quite, quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we do that all the time to yeah. adjacent lots. Together, they make more than, so together, they're five or more units. Yep. You can qualify them under that program. Yeah, and I had a, a client in Kamloops, or Kamloops in Kelowna. He bought a house on there and he was able to subdivide it. And on the subdividing side, he was able to put a side-by-side, side-by-side. So he had four that he was building. And I suggested to him, I go, why don't you just keep 
the house on the other one, roll that into everything, and you now have five units. And he's going, he goes, oh, I guess I can do that. And I go, well, why not go ask somebody who, who can give you that answer? But that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful strategy. Yeah. Okay. So if somebody wanted to do something like that, maybe they had a, had a property that they thought maybe qualified or something like that. Do you do internal underwriting? Would you be able to give somebody a financing opinion on, on how that would work? What's the process if somebody is sitting on something and they're going, well, you know what? I think I can probably do this. Maybe I can add some density. And because of these new laws, what would be a first step that you would encourage that person to do? So they need to just get some preliminary idea about whether or not they can um, add these extra units and, you know, just very, very high level uh, about the cost, right? If, if let's say they have a fork max and they're going to add an extra laneway, what would that cost? Will the zoning allow it? Uh, and then what the conversation with us is, okay, let's take a look at what the future value is going to look like. Again, back of the napkin, we're not looking for Excel spreadsheets and detailed analysis, but back of the napkin, what's the future value? What future value are you expecting? What are your projections, income and expense once you've created these five units, right? And let's take a look at uh, what that financing is going to look like with CMHC and then work that backwards to today. You've got an existing property. Its value is X. You're going to need this much money to get to this future state. How are we going to help you structure that? What does the, you know, uh, loan to value look like? What are your costs going to look like? What's the best way to structure the deal? Given your timelines, what does this all mean? So we start to deconstruct it all to show them how to use this type of money. Yep. And one of the misconceptions that I've I've had when I'm talking to people about this as well is, and I know the MLI Select program that we're talking about is phenomenal. It is phenomenal product and it's a phenomenal program. But at the remember, gang, it's the it, that's the completion financing that we're talking about of up to yeah. 95% loan to value 50 in order to get to that state, um, potentially multiple different mortgages need to be put in place and multiple different financing. And typically you have to put up a lot more capital to get the property to the state to get the completion mortgage financed at the end. Yes. So we, uh, most of the time, Russell, on that note, we use what's called a bundle loan with a CMHC-approved lender. So let's say um, someone has a three units today and they're going to create two more units and the property is worth 900000 okay? We get two pieces of the loan, that bundle loan. One piece is to say, okay, to, to pay off the existing mortgage on the property, we can get you up to 75%, sometimes 85% of today's value. And we can get that second piece of the bundle loan to fund the construction of these two extra units. And that piece can go up to 100% of the uh, total construction cost. Yep. And that will be an interest-only loan to get you to this completion sorry, exit loan with CMHC under the MLI program. Yep. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that whatever we're taking up here is going to be paid off for down here. And ideally, if you created value in the way, you want to get that money out. So 
when we do these types of loans with the CMHC approved lenders, it makes the process smoother in my view because that lender knows that they're giving you this loan with with eventually CMHC paying them out. You don't have to switch lenders in the process. You don't have to pay multiple fees in the process. And they're actually taking the risk. When when clients use private money to 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 build, right? Sometimes they get better loan to values, but CMHC wouldn't pay private money anymore. You have to actually pay that private money using a CMHC approved lender. And then you go to CMHC. So extra cost, you're taking the risk. So Every client situation is different, but these bundle loans that are interest only with CMHC approved lenders are often um, used to get to that yeah. point exit with with the, with MLI. Yeah, I 100% echo what you're saying. Is it's a point I made earlier? Is now more than ever you need to have walk into Dahlia's team with the entire project plan, so Dahlia can maneuver the lenders. So you don't paint yourself into a corner, paint yourself in a corner a couple of ways. If you have to keep switching and you keep going there and you have to go back and make a new application, new application, honest to goodness, it's like $25,000 goes out in a heartbeat when, when you're talking commercial lending. That's number oh, yeah. one. Number two is if you actually finance your land acquisition or even the construction acquisition with the wrong lender, CMHC will not cash that lender out in order to give you the MLI select program. So then you have to go to another bridge loan in yes. between an interalia mortgage and another bridge loan to just to take money for like maybe a, a month or two. <laughs> yes. So that CMHC yeah. would be able to then cash out that approved lender list and things. And I see a lot of people getting stuck on this a little bit on um, what I call um, apartment building buyers that buy something with under rented and then they, they put in a renovation package into it and they use private money to do all those kind of things. And then they're going to refinance it with CMHC at the end and CMHC say, no, we don't, we won't cash that mortgage out by the way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had clients uh, ask us this question and CMHC has a list of approved lenders. If you Google it, CMHC approved lenders, you'll see who's on that list. So if the lender on the current property is not on that list, you have to do this bridge loan or in-term loan before going to CMC. Yeah, and, and I learned a lesson very clearly the other day <laughs> on a recent transaction as well as we we bought the land with uh, using an RSP mortgage, an RSP second mortgage, and it was with Olympia Trust, which is fantastic. As But then we found out when we go to convert it to an MLI, it's like, oh, well, we don't, we don't recognize Olympia Trust. However, we recognize Canada Western Trust. So, I, uh, so, so now I know if we're ever doing any RSP lending, that if we eventually know that we're going to be doing a cash out refinance with CMHC, it has to be through Canada Western Trust, not Olympia Trust. Yeah, yeah. So it's just these little things. And, and each one of these things, honest to goodness, Dally, in this world of commercial, like don't get me wrong, there's a lot of benefits and lots of wonderful things, but everybody's got their hand out. It's like, oh, oh, you needed a, an environmental a site assessment. Oh, why didn't you tell us that a, a while ago? Oh, by the way, it's $3,000 for this report. I go, oh, geez. And the appraisals, the appraisals are minimum three grand a pop on either. And everything is upfront in advance. Yes, everything is upfront in advance and costs obviously a lot more than residential. But with that type of money, it's worth it. And it's important to know for those who are starting out with this, uh, what are the costs? What's the process? So the devil is in the assumptions. 
And I find that some investors just make assumptions. Oh, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to pay it off with CMHC and I'm going to get 95% loan to value <laughs> at a 50-year amortization and I'm going to just keep rinsing and repeating. And the devil is in the assumptions. Yeah. And that's what we help clients validate, validate the assumptions, understand the cost and what's involved so that they manage risk. Yeah, 100% agree. But I'll tell you though, on the flip side to it, once you crack the code of the process and crack the code with the team, um, it truly can be a rinse and repeat strategy. It can. Like I'm, I'm glossing over a lot of details, but if you can actually get that streamlined, this is what, a very quick way to scale many, many units in a short period of time, just as an FYI. Yeah, true. All I'm saying is that sometimes the clients assume yes. certain things that may not be true because here is a simple example, Russell. Client knows the value is going to be higher, let's say 5 million, right? Under the MLI, it does say you can get up to 95% of the value. Well, it seems it's value, number one, that sometimes differ, but they've been a lot better going with the appraised value. But at the end of the day, the property has to support the loan amount. So if the value is five, and the property's net operating income can only support $3 million. Doesn't matter what the value is. The loan amount is going to be $3 million. So that's an incorrect assumption right there. Yep. Yeah, just, just because it says you can get that doesn't mean you will get that. It still has yeah. to it still has to pass all the checks and balances and tests and debt. And the main, the, the main choke point from my seeing is really the debt coverage ratio is really where yeah. the the choke point comes down to is if you're able to, if you are able to get enough income for the cost of everything. And then the, the one wild card of, out of all of this, as we know, is bond rates and interest rates. You actually don't know your interest rate until, until about, what is it, uh, maybe eight weeks before it actually funds? Like you, you, you said, go, how do I make a decision? What is, the, what's the interest rate? And they go, well, here's the range. And I go, what do you mean a range? And I go, and it's, <laughs> and I've sitting there going, I go for the first time ever, I'm, I'm now following the Canadian five-year bond interest rate on my phone on a, on a daily basis. But, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a different world and it's a different world from a standpoint is you don't have a hundred percent certainty of what your interest rate will be when you do, when you're doing this kind of thing, you have a range, you have, you know, if their interest rate goes down, you actually might get more mortgage. If their interest rate goes up, you may have to actually buy down the rate or you may have to actually put more down payment. It's, it's, it's a lot of, it's fun. I, I really enjoy the game, but it's a lot of nuance. It's a lot of details and it's, it's hurting my brain some days. <laughs> but like once you grasp it and you do it, it, it it's actually easier yeah. to rinse and repeat. Yeah, and Dali is probably going, yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> young, <laughs> welcome to my world, youngling. <laughs> I, I can't keep up with my hair colors, uh, hair coloring, Russell, for, for, you know, because of all of the grades of, associated with this process mm. and residential, all of it. Yeah, well, that's, I'm, I'm looking at, I, I keep the same color. It's, it's, it's called flesh. I want to know you. I want to know your tricks. My trick is a fresh towel, and you just <laughs> you get a new haircut every day. <laughs> so, Dolly, what what does go into what does go into kind of setting of bond rates and interest rates and stuff like that? I know that's a very complex um, topic, and we can go into that into another like four more hours. But what, how does 
How does an interest rate on a commercial mortgage kind of get set? Like typically you have, you get quoted bond plus 0.9 or bond plus 1.17 or stuff like that. How does that all kind of get established? So in the commercial world, um, there are two types of money. There are the Canadian mortgage bonds, and then there is the government of Canada uh, or internal money that the banks use. So when, when, when lenders price deals, they look at um, adding their quote-unquote margin uh, to these rates, depending on which avenue we're taking. CMC money is always Canadian mortgage bonds. So there, you know, if you go and look for the five-year Canadian mortgage bonds pricing, there are so many sources out there. They change sometimes multiple times per day. A couple of days sometimes before closing a deal or eight weeks, like you said, Russell, the lender will say, okay, where are the Canadian mortgage bonds today? Okay, let's say the rate is four point something. And some lenders will add anywhere from half a point, sometimes up to 1% to that number. And that becomes the rate you pay for as a client. If you're going for a conventional commercial loan, they're not going with the Canadian mortgage bonds. They're either going with the government of Canada bonds or they have their internal sources of money. And the same idea applies. They basically add a premium, but that premium sometimes is higher than what I just mentioned on insured money. So that's really the, the, the concept. This is the source of money. They add a premium to it. As a client, that's what you pay for. That's your rate. In the residential world, it's a little different. Uh, residential world, fixed rate mortgages uh, are based on the uh, bond market's pricing. Uh, variable rate mortgages are based on the Bank of Canada's overnight rate. Right. Um, and, and when you get the rate at the time of approval, that is the rate. Where in commercial, you cannot lock it in when you get a letter of interest or even a commitment letter, it's sometimes within a very short window of closing. And if the bonds go up, like you said, that will impact the loan amount. And if you want to keep the loan amount, you may have to buy down the rate to bring it down to a level to give you the original loan amount you applied for. And if the rate goes down, you you would benefit. Yeah. And then it, it all gets, you know adding just a lot more complexity to it is you get then a CMHC certificate of insurance that says, well, here's your ceiling rate and here's your maximum loan amount and all that kind of stuff. And then it's just like, well, can somebody just tell me what our interest rate will be? (laughs) And the answer is no, we can't. Like I I, I keep asking and I keep wanting to know. It's hard. It's, it makes it difficult to perform, uh, like do perform a cash flow. So you have to almost add factors in, you add allowances in, you, you analyze at a top end, and then you, you, you risk it, you risk and analyze it backwards. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You have to, to, to hedge and make, in, in a commercial world, you have to keep your eye on the bond and uh, just uh, understand where the market is going. I mean, nobody can predict it, but directionally you want to know okay, by the time I close, what's the likelihood that the bonds are going to be up? And when the, when the lenders write the deals, they plan for these things in the process as well. It's not like they wake up overnight and go, oh my God, we're super. No, we're, at the time of writing the deal, they know by the time that deal is going to close, directionally, you know, where the 
uh, wh- where the curve is going and they hedge for that. But sometimes trade is, crazy things happen in the bond market and, you know, like the market panics and something, you know, pushes up the rate beyond anyone's expectations and clients, you know, have to buy down the rate. But yeah. yes, buffers are everything. You mean you mean you're you're bursting my bubble a little bit of having all these people sitting around smoking cigars and throwing darts at a dartboard to try to, to <laughs> determine these numbers. <laughs> well, but it, it it truly is, and that's where you need to pay even more attention. Like you know, like last week that just came. I, I know I'm dating this and, and things like that, but last week um, some unemployment numbers came out that were softer than normal, and all of a sudden, boom, the the bond rate dropped, and it's been dropping. It dropped for about five days in a row, and then all of a sudden, everybody's going, "Well, factor in probably fixed rates are going to come down, you know, twenty to forty basis points over the next little while." And and everybody who's sitting there with these CMHC certificates are going, "Go down lower, yeah, go down." Lower. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good one for those who are, you know, about to 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 close, right? Yeah. But but here's and here's just a real life scenario. We had multiple applications that went in that got approved over a course of months. We started at one time with our um, ceiling rate at four point two five, and then towards three, I think it was three four months later, it was the ceiling rate was four point six, right? And we're just going, yeah. holy macaroni! Like <laughs> it it can it can vary quite quickly. So yeah, sure. Now there's an awful lot that we can cover here going on on a way forward. So so really, the bottom line for everybody here is um, there are options. There truly are. If 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 you're in the game and you're committed to long term real estate success, even though the options aren't as good as they once were, maybe a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, there's always an option. And I. There's always an option to be shared with by a professional on your side. Um, something might not be working like it used to, but you know what? There's another option and you you adapt and you either adapt or die. And that's conversations I'm having with lots of people is how bad do you really want it? Do you really want the success? Do you, or, or were you just... Are you a, an investor of convenience when it was really simple and you were sailing in the hot, in the warm sunny weather and calm oceans or are you uh, do you want this really badly more than you can almost breathe so the question i want to ask for you is when you're having conversations with people and people are you know they're second guessing and they're having that puppy dog breath and they're panicking a little bit how do you help somebody get through a lot of that so definitely there is there is pressure right and uh, we're seeing it across the board. And I always tell people, like you said, Russell, there is always a solution. So let's sit down and figure out how we can um, reduce pressure, right? So that could be restructuring debt, that could be deleveraging, that could be um, creative ideas, like what you shared in the cash flow recharge, bring in an equity partner to help you uh, cover a shortfall or uh, get a piece of the property to uh, offset some of the losses you're temporarily having, but in the long run, everybody wins or convert it. Uh, let's look at commercial money. Let's look at private money, although it's non-conventional thinking to help you ride the wave. So there is a big toolbox. The question is, and, and we're going to present you with the possibilities and we're going to guide you through. 
And at the end of the day, you have to make a decision to actually action it. As painful as it may be, you will have, the choice is yours. Is it easy to go and find equity money? No, it's not. Or yes, it is. Because people are sitting in a lot of money. It all depends on how you look at the situation. Some people right now are seeing opportunities. Some people are seeing skies falling and we're all going to die. So we'll help you open up your eyes on what the options are. We'll guide you. But at the end of the day, the choice is yours. And uh, you either choose to tackle the problem heads on, regardless of how simple or uh, how complicated the the path may be, um, and choose to think about opportunities. Because sometimes... You know, there may be a problem here, but you can fix it by identifying an opportunity and not necessarily just like looking through this this lens here. So are we helping clients? Are clients still buying? Are clients riding the wave? Absolutely. Is it simple? Yes. Is it easy? Not always. But if you want it, you'll do it. Well, there's definitely a wave and either you can be on the bottom and have the wave crash over top of you, or you can get the surfboard out, point it the right direction and ride that sucker into the shore, right? Yeah. So Dahlia, man, you're just like, I've been remiss here. You're bringing the fire here. It's like, it's all, I'm sitting there and going, and of course, when fire comes, right, the bombs happen. So, um... Where would be the best place for if somebody wanted to reach out to you, get a hold of you? I know you're you're on my podcast every week and you have your 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 email and stuff like that. But if this is somebody's first time listening, where is the best place for somebody to get a hold of your your team and and help you uh, help and help have you help them out? We are all reachable at info at treetwisemortgages.com or you can go to our websites treetwisemortgages.com and contact us through the contact form and then if you want to keep up to date with our uh, content uh, and uh, education uh, I am mostly active on Instagram at treetwise underscore investor nice nice I think one of the last times we chatted you were you were bringing out a fund recent or upcoming or is that still on 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 the go or what's what's happening with that it's in the works right now. Yep. Yeah. It's soon, in the works. Soon. Haven't, soon. Yes. Haven't formally launched yet. Well, soon. it's funny. Like the ideas are the quick things to happen. It's just like, you now the execution. And once it gets into the lawyer's hands, it's like, holy moly. <laughs> yeah. That's where it stops. Yeah. Just, it, well, let's put it this way. They, they ask all the nuanced, detailed questions of things that you've never, that you didn't think about and go, well, is that important? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's answer all these, let's answer all these questions. Right. Yeah. You know, as entrepreneurs, sometimes we're like, you know, I, I've got this idea. I'm just going to, I just want to go, 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 go. Okay. But I want to make sure I get legal advice. Yeah. And then it's like, ah, pause now. <laughs> oh, there are all of these things that I haven't thought about. Okay. Go back and Make sure these are covered before we move forward. So that's always, always the case. But, you know, you got to do it because uh, that's how you launch off a stronger foundation, right? Yep. And and I'm very guilty within our team all the time as I have such an idea and I'm just going and I'm, I think it really loud and I make the assumption that everybody can hear my thinking, but uh, sometimes that don't work. So. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we leave it there? Um do you have uh, any final last words for anybody if uh, what's going on uh, uh, out if they're, if they're um, feeling stuck or something like that or 
you know, if you if you want, I'll leave the last word for you. And if not, that's okay. We can we can sign off and finish our our, our glass of tequila, if you will. Let's finish the glass of tequila. No, nice. I'm just kidding. Let me <laughs> let me leave that <laughs> something. Um, folks, always get a second opinion, right? If if someone says you don't qualify or this cannot be done, uh, get a second opinion. Um, very important all the time. Uh, secondly, on the rates front, I follow some premier rate analysts. And um, today there was an analysis that went out. I have a copy of it that shows whether or not fixed rates are winning over variable rate, given where the market sees the rate direction in the next 12 months. And right now, for the first time, for the first time, variable rates are making sense compared to the one or two year fixed rate. Uh, talk about it a month ago before the Bank of Canada announcement came out and before the bond market cha- change, it was one year is the way to go and two year is, you know, you're taking a bet, but now variable rate have strong, stronger advantage because the differential is very, very small and we know that the rates are going to slide sometime in 2024. So if you're looking to make a rate decision, um, consider a variable rate. However, everyone's situation is different. It's important to sleep at night uh, and not go with a one-size-fits-all approach. And we're happy to help you make these decisions if your renewal yep. is coming up or if you're looking to purchase as well. Um, we're here to help. Yeah, and that's the advice I gave to somebody too is, you know, you rode, the, you rode it up and variable will be the leading edge of the riding of the down too. So, and, and it's good to know that uh, what you just said is potentially it now looks like it's at that tipping point. Potentially, potentially. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we, before we do send, uh, send off here, I do want to offer you something here, Dahlia. And I, I want to just offer you something of um, um, the, the, the heavy lifting that you put in to this community. You put in a lot of heavy lifting for real estate investors. You're an incredible advocate and an incredible guide and resource. And some days I would imagine it feels like at the end of the day, it's like, holy moly, oh, I've been talking all day long and I've just been doing one podcast after another and another video and another video and another video. Some days it, it's one of those ones is it sometimes doesn't feel like it's making a difference. But I'm here to tell you from somebody from an entire opposite end of the country, what you're the work you're doing makes a huge difference. So I'm encouraging to keep going. Just whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Okay. Because we need more dahlias in this industry and we need those broad shoulders that you have. You know, we not, we're not talking the 90s uh, shoulder pads or anything like that, but you have broad shoulders and you're, you're carrying a big load and it's not going unnoticed. And I just want to thank you for that. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate these words. Yeah. You're making it on here. Okay. Well, that's, that's what tequila does. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Russell. I appreciate uh, your words. Yes. Well, thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful day. Make sure you share the show. If you have any questions, please let us know. Okay. Bye for now, everybody. So what did you take away from today's episode? Did you take away some some strategic planning? Did you take away that you need to book a consultation with a mortgage professional to start getting on the horizon some renewals that might be happening in a year from now? 
maybe even in two years from now, what is the plan if you can't if you're in a market jurisdiction and you're already at the top of a rental marketplace and you can't raise your market rent more than uh, one two two and a half percent, and your mortgage interest rate is going to go from one point seven to five point seven. Um, you, you might need to do a little bit of planning now, right? I'm not telling you to sell. I'm not telling you to divest. I'm telling you to do any of those kind of things. I'm just telling you is be prepared, be very proactive on the mortgage financing. Now more than ever, you need to be extremely proactive on what you're going to be doing here as well. Okay, gang, I'm going to leave it there. Um, I do have a couple wonderful upcoming episodes here. I've got a wonderful podcast that's coming up with uh, with a person who does rent-to-owns. And you're going to just be, I fell off my chair when I found out how many rent-to-owns they've done so far. And also, there's an incredible story of um, resilience that's coming up here, of a story of some trauma that happened. And I was just like, like, it's very rare that during a podcast episode, I was as quiet as I was during this one. But the story was just that good. And you're going to thoroughly love the upcoming episodes that are coming your way. But that is on the horizon. Ladies and gentlemen, always remember in every interaction you have with another person, always leave people feeling inspired, encouraged, and come from a place of love. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.